Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Tim Alexiel. You probably recognize him from some of my older videos if you've been following for a long time, since like, I don't know, 2008 or something like that. Uh, we've been fingerboarding together for a really long time, so he's definitely an OG. And yeah, we are excited to have a chat and learn all about Tim. Yay, thanks for having me over. Yeah, <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, it's it's really cool that you came back into the scene recently and have been fingerboarding again. Yeah, I took quite a quite a long break there. Uh, so around 2013, I kind of moved out of the area, and that mean meant moving away from people like you and Jay, the people I hung out with and fingerboarded a lot with. Uh, and I kind of just let it go to the wayside from there. And yeah, recently after being away for so long, I had the urge to fingerboard again, and yeah, here we are. Yep. Yep. So, do you find that fingerboarding is more of a social thing for you then? I don't know if it's more of a social thing, but it was definitely more motivating to have a place to go where it was more dedicated to fingerboarding rather than just sitting at home at my desk in front of the computer messing around with it. Yeah. Um, I think that's primarily what it was for me. Yeah, I find, like, for me, it's, like, a mix. Like, I love fingerboarding by myself, and then as soon as that gets boring, you fingerboard with one person, and yeah. it's, like, so exciting again, and then they're both, it's, like, you want to fingerboard by yourself and with people. Yeah, so. I mean, you can sit at home and work on tricks, you know, all the time, but if you have, if you can build towards something, and then, you know, take that trick you've worked on and, and go show it to your friends, it's way more fun to do that. It's a, it's a little bit more motivating. Or if you're having trouble with, with something, then maybe you have the motivation when you're with people to, to get it. Like so, real skateboarding. Yeah, like. a, little, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So. Um, so take us back to the beginning. So, cause... yeah, uh, I started, well, I started skateboarding in November of 2000 when I was 15 and I'm 37 now so that was quite a long time ago um, I didn't really fingerboard seriously then I definitely had tech decks and stuff you know you start skateboarding you see a toy of you know your, your skateboard with with your graphic on it and you want to buy that um, so in high school I had a, a friend his name was Joe and he started skateboarding a little bit after I did, but he was really into tech decks. And so I kind of started to learn more tricks, actual tricks, because of him. We would play around in biology class uh, and steal the teacher's stapler. And she was not very thrilled with that. Um, and for, for the time, it, it wasn't really anything I took seriously. It was just a toy. And then fast forward to 2007. Uh, I was working for a friend in his skate shop, and it was really boring. No one really came in that much. Um, and I had a tech deck, and I made a conscious decision to see how good I could get with it. And every day I was just in the shop, just playing with this tech deck, learning different tricks. Uh, someone made me some rails that were probably about eight inches tall. Whoa. And I learned how to do flips and the grinds and stuff with those rails. and. From then, it kind of just evolved into other stuff. I started filming some videos in probably late 2007. Filmed my first mini video and learned 
that you know there were wooden boards and bearing wheels and stuff out there so i said let's see what this is about started putting all the pieces together here we are yeah so 2007 was a lot different than it is now yeah where did you post your first video i posted it on youtube but i also found ffi somehow around the same time mm -hmm. and i have no recollection of how i even got there or <laughs> figured out that the the forum was a thing I remember the tech deck chat room from back in the, the early 2000s, but I was never on a tech deck forum or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I posted it on there and I think I put some stupid comment at the end of it about being lame and Black River commented on the video and asked why I was lame. And I said it was a joke, but it really had no, no answer for them. <laughs> Dang, that's pretty big, getting a comment from Black River, yeah. like, first try. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> must, must have been good. I think around the time uh, the Lakai video came out, and I really wanted to try a bunch of the tricks I saw in that on a fingerboard, and somehow some of those made it in there. I don't have the video anymore, um, so I can't show anyone, but I think it was okay for first try. Yeah, that's awesome. Um you want to take us back to before fingerboarding and just give a little background like what kind of upbringing did you have you know like where where were you what were you doing yeah so i grew up in a small town in iowa um not oh there wasn't a whole lot to do there um as a kid we we'd go to like the roller skating rink a lot or there was a bowling alley that was behind our house we'd go there and play arcade games and, and whatnot um, and then around two, 2000 November 2000 is when I started skateboarding I dabbled in it a little bit before that um, I had a friend who had a skateboard had a, like a, a legit skateboard he had a complete out of the CCS I think it was just CCS blank and some grind king trucks and I don't remember what wheels but he ended up giving that to me uh, when I was a freshman in high school and me and my, my friend John were just like, yep, we're going to start skateboarding. And he got a birdhouse complete with a bunch of crazy stuff on it. And we just started learning to skate. It was, it was great. All right. So basically you started skateboarding and then how much was skating part of your life? Skating was a pretty big part of my life once I started. That was kind of all I wanted to do. And that's a pretty similar story with a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Um, but I always had different hobbies as a kid I used to draw a lot that was kind of my my primary hobby was just doing different art uh, and then at some point I really wanted to learn how to play guitar and I started doing that and I started skateboarding at the same time and I started to get better at skateboarding faster and it was just <laughs> more accessible you could you could go skateboarding anywhere I could go skateboarding in front of my high school in the morning and then after school I could go wherever um, and that was that was pretty much all I did throughout high school was just go skateboarding you know uh, some of my other friends they'd go party and whatever and I was never into that uh, most of the time I just spent by myself in an empty parking lot with me and my skateboard and it was yeah a little bit a little bit obsessive over <laughs> it for a while yeah um, but it's, it's taken me to a lot of different places. I've met a lot of interesting people through it. Uh, and then subsequently, 
from skateboarding I got into fingerboarding and I've met even more people uh, so it's been a pretty interesting journey I would say with skateboarding definitely yeah. who are some of these interesting people you've met uh well you for one yeah. uh, that doesn't count it doesn't count well, no well what about I through mean, skateboarding? you're one uh through skateboarding I mean, no one's going to know who they are. They're not famous. No, that doesn't matter, but, like, but... you probably have a cool interaction or something that stands out or, like, yeah, uh, I don't know, any, like, core memories? Like, you saw somebody doing, I don't know, their first tray flip in front of you? And yeah, you... I mean, I, well, I mean, one nice memory I have from skateboarding, I was at a demo. Um, so where I grew up, if you went about 30 miles uh, north, you end up in Des Moines. And Des Moines had this roller rink there called Skate South. And we'd have demos there from different teams all the time. And there was specifically one demo. It was just a bunch of random people. Uh, Brian Herman was there. And I remember watching him do this Nolly Nose Manual on this really tall box uh, and just being blown away by that because he was going so slow it seemed and yet he was able to do this really hard trick so perfectly um, and he was also wearing some really cool navy and gum reynolds one america shoes that i always wanted and could never find uh, but that yeah that trick was just crazy to me and it's it's a pretty basic trick but the way he did it really stuck with me and when I tried to learn that trick later on in life, I kind of had a really good reference point for it. So that was fun. Demos were always fun. Yeah, I miss demos. Like, that used to be a thing. I feel like it's not that common anymore. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but maybe that'll change. Who knows? Yeah, I wonder why demos went away because it's like, it's like a concert. Like, people still go to concerts, you know? It's like yeah. you want to see the thing that you like and you want to see it happen in front of your eyes. Yeah. It's like super cool and it's really it's more inspiring than just seeing a video for sure it's like yeah. a whole different level you don't you, you get to see like how many tries it takes them and their attitude yeah. and like the energy it's it's wild um i remember at a demo my friend joe again who got me into fingerboarding was a really big fan of heath kirchart and he <laughs> he would just go up to people and talk to him he didn't didn't care it's like, hey, Heath Kircher, why don't you go crooked grind this thing? And Heath just shut him down. It's <laughs> like, no. Like, why would I do that when I could nose blend it? <clears throat> like, I, I don't know. <laughs> why wouldn't you? Oh, look who's back. Rhombus is back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've met a, a lot of different pros at demos and, and whatever. And in the beginning, it was cool. Just run around and get people's autographs. But... And when you get older, you can actually have some conversations with them when you're not as nervous. Yeah. Uh, I remember specifically meeting uh, Ben Gilly, who rode for Black Label at the time. He just kind of walked up and he was like, hey, what's going on, man? I'm like, why is this person talking to me? I don't know. <laughs> but that was cool. He was a cool guy. Uh, and I got to talk to Chris Cole once, and he's always been one of my favorite skaters. Whoa. So that was a fun experience. So That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big one. I feel like your skate and fingerboard style is like kind of very like conscious of the style rather than like being super tech or something. Like, yeah, I feel like style is your game kind of. Yeah, I feel similarly. I can do some really technical tricks, 
Um, it's not something I do all the time. Like I, if you ever watch anything I filmed, you probably just see a lot of kickflips into things. <laughs> um, one, because it's fun. Uh, and it's, it's easy to do a really technical trick, but it's hard to do a really basic trick and do it really well, I think. Uh, and I, I think that's reflected in actual skateboarding too. Like I'd rather watch someone do a really, really nice kickflip than a really sloppy kickflip crooked grind down whatever. You know, it's just, yeah, that's just my thing. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure why that is, but. Well, it's cool. It's like, you know, everybody has their own style and stuff. Yeah. And like your style is style. <laughs> like it, it's awesome. You make every trick look super good. Oh, thank you. You know, I try, and, I try very hard. <laughs> well, I feel like it's kind of coming back. Like people care about that again. Like just watching videos and stuff. It's like, wow, that looked good. You know, not like there's always a place for like, you know, who can do the craziest trick or whatever. But to me, it's like, if you're not making those crazy tricks look good, you might as well do something easier. Yeah. I feel like it look better. that's maybe just kind of the era in which we started fingerboarding too. I feel like around 2008, I started to see a lot, a lot of people were doing like switch hard flips into things and switch and nollie tray flips into things. And that, that's cool. Uh, especially if you, if you can do it really well. Um, but it's not, that's just not really my thing. I've certainly tried some of those tricks. I'm not very good at them, but <laughs> try. And then nollie heel flips are like the bane of everyone's existence. And I blame Nick Herzog from his, FFI rail jam. That's like what spawned all of it. Cause that nollie heel flip into nose grind is probably the best one that's ever been done. Yeah. And ever will be done. And I don't know how he did it. I asked him, he's like, you, you just flick your finger like this. Like it can't be that simple, but you know, not everyone's good at every trick, unfortunately, but that's what makes things interesting. Uh, I have been around some different people now that I've come back into fingerboarding and watched some newer videos. And for some people, it just seems like it's too easy. I see a lot of wild <laughs> tricks, uh, but that's cool too. I mean, gotta, gotta evolve. One thing though, with some of those wild tricks in regard to, to filming and putting out videos, since I come from kind of a different background, uh, I feel like you should save some of those tricks and make kind of a meaningful video part. That's way more interesting than just throwing it into some kind of a jam session. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think that's really the way that people consume media anymore. Um, yeah, that's been a theme in the last few people that I've talked to. Yeah. <laughs> and just when I'm hanging out with people in general, it's always like, especially all of us that have been doing it the longer, longest, yeah. kind of like we're like, you know, we, we want to see people put in effort into like a really special video and then like really watch that video, probably watch it a second and third time because it's yeah. so good and like pay attention to it fully. Like everything about the video should be good. The filming, the tricks, like, and now it's just like everything's so fast, so rapidly produced. It's just like, yeah. boom, p put a trick, put it on YouTube, put it on, I mean, Instagram, like, and then two days later, no one remembers it. Yeah. And it's like, just like with, with skateboarding, something yeah. comes up on Thrasher and then the next day it's gone and you go try to find it. It's like, where did this video go? It's like 30 videos deep already. Yeah. And it's great that so much content is coming out, but it's also like the focus on quality, like in the long run, like what are you going to remember 
five years from now and go back and watch. It's not going to be yeah. somebody's like quick TikTok clip. It's going to be like somebody's full part that yeah. they dedicated two years to or like whatever, you know, or even in fingerboarding, dedicate a week to yeah. it, you know? I'm still going back and watching skate video parts from the early 90s and yeah. just stuff I grew up with. Uh, same with fingerboard stuff too. I'll go back and watch old stuff that we've all filmed together and like that's, you know, if it, if you think back like the first flat face video all of us put a lot of effort into that and that was like yeah. a three hour long video <laughs> so that's a bit too long right um but to see people put that level of effort into something again would be awesome much more entertaining yeah. especially for someone like me who who doesn't care about social media i don't have an instagram i don't do facebook or twitter anything of that i have a youtube channel that i haven't touched since 2009 uh although i recently uploaded some of my old videos onto it but yeah that's awesome we'll put a link to it and hopefully you'd like start working on a new part yeah throw it on there in a couple months <laughs> hopefully <laughs> that would be sick you should do it i mean especially if we're going to talk about it we got to like lead by example yeah so. i mean i i definitely have some ideas a uh, pretty big motivator for me is just kind of music i'll hear a cool song and then suddenly you get you get bit with that that bug where it's like yep. oh i could i could put something together to this song but then you hear another cool song and suddenly you have ideas for five different video parts that might not happen uh and then you have to make the the horrible decision of whittling those songs down to one and unfortunately for me that never goes well i always end up picking something completely random um <laughs> So if you ever tried to judge my taste in music based solely on what videos I've put out, I'm sorry, but it's, it's just all over the place. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do the same thing. I have so much weird, different music yeah. and stuff, but I'm noticing a theme here that people named Tim are very into their music. I, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> my musical tastes are really all over the place. Um, I like a lot of old music, seventies, eighties stuff. It's good. But my primary music consumption genre um, has been different Japanese music from all over the place. I know that Japanese music kind of saw uh, some new interest in around 2017 with people discovering city pop, which is just 70s and 80s J-pop, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, it's it's nice to have easy access to that stuff because when i first got into japanese music you had to go through all kinds of different hoops to try to find stuff uh and i'm i was the kind of person like i would just pick random things and i would like it no matter what even if it was just completely off the walls because <laughs> it was different um, cool. but i like other stuff too um i like a lot of vaporwave stuff just because it sounds old and yeah, a lot of too. it a lot of it's is derived from old songs just yeah. kind of chopped up but that's fun yeah that's um, super fun do you speak japanese i know a little bit but i don't know enough to hold a conversation just yeah. i've tried to learn and i i always do really well for a couple months and then i start to fall off and get lazy about it but uh, i do want to go to japan next year so i i need to start putting some more effort into learning Cool. Um, but I know random bits and bobs. So. Yeah. 
that'll be awesome i was gonna say if you just go there you'll learn it so yeah i mean listening listening to the the music and just watching anime and stuff will help you learn faster because uh, you start to recognize words being used over and over again yep uh, especially in music they they like to use certain phrases and stuff over and over again um so that's fun yeah cool yeah that's awesome you want to talk about what you brought here today? Yeah, let's These talk are about amazing. the robots in the room. The robots in the room. Uh, so like I just mentioned, I'm a big fan of Japanese culture and anime and whatnot. And here we have a little bit of that. So these are all different uh, models from the Gundam series. And one of the reasons I kind of fell off of fingerboarding was because of models. I started making models in 2011. Um, and I just got really obsessed with it. Uh, one, it was really, really calming. Um, I could just sit there and focus for hours and not realize that hours had passed yeah. and just work on something. And that was great. Uh, and then because I did a lot of drawing and painting as a kid and a, quite a bit less as an adult, I needed a different creative outlet. Uh, so I started building models and then that progressed into from just building them to painting them. And then from there, doing other stuff, adding different details. You can scribe lines and scratch build things out of plastic board and whatnot. Um, but some of these here are things I've completed in the past. And with these two, you get a little bit of a before and after. Um, and then the other three are just ones that I've painted up. Not really anything special in the way of construction it's all just out of the box and you know you you clean up the parts and put them together and then paint them um if if anyone watching has never seen a model kit before i brought one here that's never been worked on sweet and this is an yeah, old let's see it old model kit from uh the 80s i don't know if this oh, one's actually see. from when it, it wasn't printed in the 80s but Oh, so they still make it? They still make same it, one. yeah. But it's the exact same kit as when it originally released. Uh, but you get parts, they're all on these things called runners or trees. Uh, and you cut them all out with some some nippers here. Nice. And then you, when you cut out the pieces, it's going to leave a little mark from where you cut it out. So you'll sand all that off until it's nice and smooth. Um, some models you can just snap together. Others like this require glue uh, and a lot more work. So this is going to get a little nerdy with model talk. That's good. But. Bring it on. <laughs> so when you, if you build a modern kit like this, you, you typically don't have to glue anything together. But with old kits, you do. So if you take the two head pieces here, cut them out, you sandwich them together. When you do that, there's going to be a giant line down the middle of them. So you have to glue that together uh, so that the glue comes out of that line and kind of seals everything. And then you're going to sand all of that away. And you're going to do that for every single piece. <laughs> so it can get a little bit tedious, um, the gluing and the sanding. And if there's if you spray it with primer or whatever and you see, oh, you there's still a little bit of separation. You have to go back in and fix that before you paint anything. Um, so it's a lot of work, but I think it's a lot of fun. It's pretty rewarding. I gotta check this thing out. And then some of the newer kits, like that particular kit, 
was printed in 2020. So it's pretty new. It's fun to see how the technology changes from year to year. Uh, so that when you're done with it, you kind of just have an action figure. You can move it and pose it and do different things. And they all have different little gimmicks. Um, so there's there's a lot that goes into it. You can you yeah. can be as creative as you want to be with it. Dude, the level of detail is insane. <laughs> How do you get? Are these stickers with the word? No, not they're quite. water slide decals. Uh, so depending on on the kit, you you might get them with the kit. You might have to buy them third party. Uh, but you can put different little markings and stuff on it. Crazy. One of my big focuses with building models is the painting part. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know all about paint and you do crazy paint stuff. Yeah. Definitely talk about that. I mean, I remember the other day or probably a couple of weeks ago, we were talking like about... Like a month ago. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about paint in the other room while we were fingerboarding and like, you know way more about paint than, than I knew existed. Yeah. It's there, amazing. There's a lot of different kinds of paint out there. And then, so... You have to learn like, what paints you can layer on top of each other if you want to get really into it. So there's all kinds of different chemistries. And then knowing what colors you can layer on top of each other for different effects. Um, there's just a lot, a lot out there. Um, so some of the stuff I try to do is give the kid a feeling like it was a, like a painting on the box art or if you pulled it out of your TV set from watching the anime. Cool. So a lot of the, the colors I use are very well thought out in terms of what tones they're going to, going to be, uh, and then how I layer those on top of each other, I put a lot of thought into. Uh, so like, these three kits here all have different shading techniques, and it might be kind of hard to pick it up on camera. This one looks insane. I don't know if they can tell, but that color, we need that on a fingerboard truck. <laughs> that like. It's like a different gray than these grays. Yeah. It so looks really good. The purple one, purplish gray. Is it purplish? I don't know. My eyes are not super no. in tune. I would say it's like a, almost a yellowish gray, but I could be wrong. I don't you know, know more than I do. We'll but I'm talking about just like this leg coloring. Oh, the white. Yeah, but it's not white. White it's, is like white, white. So it's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing with, with paint. You can do all kinds of fun stuff, but yeah, it, it is, looks so good. It's white. Um, but underneath that is uh, kind of a purple gray color. Okay. And then the white paint itself is kind of special. It's more like a white green paint. Mm -hmm. um, so I layered the white green paint on top of the purple gray paint to give it that effect specifically. That's crazy. Because um, if you look at this kit, I've actually used that same white on parts of this kit, but it's a completely different outcome. Yeah. And what's totally. under here is like pink and purple uh, and that gives it kind of if you look more toward the the tips of things yeah, it's more like this color Super and that's cool. more how the box art looked so this one was mm -hmm. definitely more of a, a box art uh, mimic style or this one was more of my own kind of this is what I want to do with the kit and same with this one uh, this the colors I painted this in aren't even the colors that that is supposed to be um, but I took this, there's three different variations of this particular model. Um, and I took one of those color variations and just applied it to this one and did different shading and whatnot. This one's just kind of plain metallic colors. So nothing, nothing too fancy. 
but I try to go in and paint all the little detail parts too. And that's more apparent on this one because you can see there's little black and red specks there. And yeah. I masked all that off and airbrushed it. And it was kind of tedious, but it came out really nice. And that's what's that's what makes it worth it. Because in the end you have like this this cool figure, but also a piece of art that you put a lot of time and effort into. Yeah, definitely. Um, I can see how it would be super therapeutic and immersive to yeah. just do all this. And I think people who fingerboard, like at least some people are like, you know, into making things in general, sanding boards and making obstacles and stuff. So I think yeah. this will appeal to certain people and they'll be like, you know, I think once you start it, it's like, it's just so fun to build anything. You yeah, know? It, it's super fun. And there's all kinds of stuff out there. There's model kits for everything. If you're into cars, there's all kinds of cars, um, military stuff, you know, cool. characters, sculpture. And making models has kind of led me into different avenues of art that I wasn't necessarily in, interested in in the past. Uh, if you talked to me in high school, there was no way you could get me to, to try to sculpt anything out of clay or other materials. Uh, but since I picked up model making, I've gotten more into sculpture and tried to figure things out. Um, and I've gotten more into just kind of scratch building things. I didn't really bring any examples here, but uh, with other models, I'll scratch build different pieces out of plastic board and mod modify them in different ways. Uh, and that's a lot of work too, but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah, that's super cool. Amazing. I like that gold too. It's like when you're mindful of like the colors and stuff, it's totally different than like at first glance, you're just like, yeah, a bunch of figures. Yeah. And then once you start getting into it and you hear about how it's made and you like really look at them for a while, it's like, it's amazing detail and everything. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So hopefully the camera picks that up in a way that people can see it too. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, I say I don't really post my work anywhere anymore. I, I ran a Twitter for a while and I would just post models on there, but I got tired of that. So it's just for me now. Yeah. That, that's all that matters. That's really awesome. I think there's something extra special about doing what you love and doing it just for you and not doing it for social media because that's like the new thing these days is like people are like, oh, what will make me look good on social media? Yeah. And it's like, that's not what's going to make you happy or successful no. or popular in the end. It's like what you really want is to do what you enjoy doing. And if it's just you and nobody else, yeah. like if you never showed anyone these, you'd probably be just as happy because you're yeah. like, I did it. You know, like it's the process of making it. And it's like the focus. You can't be that focused when you're like doing it for someone else. Cause you're yeah. like, Oh, is this going to look like how other people want it to look? Yeah. Not like how I want it to look. And you can apply this to anything. Yeah. And I've definitely thought about making videos on doing this. And that when I just think about how much work I would have to put into it and maintain it, it just becomes not fun. The right. whole process doesn't seem fun anymore. Um, so I just let it be what it is and, and have my own fun with it. Yeah, that's the best. I think you should do a little stop motion, like kickflip or something on one of them, like in your next part. It so, would be pretty sick. I, I could try. I've never done stop motion before. But I'll help you. We'll I, see. I've done it a long time ago. We could try one together. Let's do it. That would be so funny. Well, before we go away from this topic, I'm also curious 
how the heck did you find this? And how did you learn how to do all the painting techniques and the craftsmanship in general, like all of that? Yeah, so I think sometime in the early 2000s, um, Cartoon Network started to show Gundam Wing, which is what these two are from. And at the time, um, they started to sell action figures and model kits in different department stores. So you could go to Toys R Us, or Target, or Walmart, and they would have these things. And they would advertise them on TV. And the advertisements were pretty funny. If you if you look for them on YouTube, you can find them. But it would say, like, whatever kit, skill level five, 300 hours of work. And as a, as a kid, I, I would sit there and think, well, it wouldn't take me that long to build it. <laughs> Not knowing what like what other work they put into it. Um, but from the show, I, I liked the show, so I went out and, and bought one of the kits. And they come in different scales. So all of the ones here are one to 100 scale. Uh, and then they also come in stuff uh, like one to 144 scale. So those kits are actually smaller, cool. but not knowing how scaling worked as a child, I thought the bigger the number, the, the bigger the toy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I bought a, one of the smaller ones, put it together, and I remember being so disappointed that it didn't look like the box, because the ones that, the ones that come in the in the manual are all painted up and they look awesome, but the manuals don't tell you any of that stuff. It's just you know here's runner A, cut out piece twenty five and stick it to piece twenty six. <laughs> uh, so I I got done with it. It's like well. This is okay, I guess. Um, and then didn't think about it for a while. And then Christmas time rolled around and I ended up getting one of the larger scale ones for Christmas. And I put that together and I was just like, wow, this is way cooler than that other one. I like this a lot. And I just sat on my shelf for a long time. Um, when I was around 18, 19, um, that kind of stuff was kind of going out of the the department stores and so they would clearance a lot of that stuff out and I would just go to Walmart and pick out random ones and build them at home and I was just snapping them together I didn't even know that you needed tools to cut them off of the runners I would twist the pieces off yeah. and that leaves horrible marks on the plastic um, so yeah I would just put them together and be at peace for a couple hours and then you know onto the shelf they go and on with life uh, and then I didn't after that I'd say around 2004 I didn't didn't build them anymore you couldn't really find them and I just kind of forgot about it around 2011 uh, actually no before that uh, 2009 my wife and I were in Boston and there used to be a store there called Tokyo Kid and they sold a bunch of different anime stuff and figures um, and they had a model of this one here, this is the Wing Zero, and that happens to be my favorite one. And I saw it, and you could build the inner frame of it, and I thought that was super cool. So not only do you get this cool exterior, but you can build something with a cool interior and then put all that stuff on it. Um, so if we take these apart, take off all the armor, there's a, like a skeleton under there. And I just remember thinking that was super cool, uh, that's my favorite suit, 
So I picked up a model and then it sat in my closet for about a year um, until my wife and I moved into our own place. Uh, and then I was like, oh yeah, I have this model. I'm going to build it and then I can put it somewhere. And at the time that I bought it, I remember the store clerk telling me that there was going to be a, a contest, a model making contest. And that oh. was just wild to me. So <laughs> I just thought of them as toys. Um, and so that got me thinking when I was building it, like, okay, well, what can I do to make this better? And from there, I started to kind of look on YouTube and see what other people were doing. And then I found out that you use side cutters to cut the pieces out and that'll get rid of the horrible marks <laughs> and then um, all of the you might notice like there's a bunch of little lines and stuff all over the kit those are panel lines yeah kinda like an airplane or a car would have yeah um, but you can fill those in with uh, paint or marker or whatever and that'll kind of add a lot more detail to the kit and so of course, not knowing anything, you think that any idea you have is the greatest idea. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to fill in these lines and, and do this, all this stuff, and then maybe I can win this contest. I never entered the contest. I never, like, I, by the time I got, got around to building the kit, a, a year had passed. So, uh, But I still wanted to try to do a good job on it. Uh, so I built, built up the kit and then put it on my shelf and forgot about it. 2011 rolls around, I was walking in the mall and I walked by a comic book store and they had some boxes on display in their window. And I went in and I was looking at them and they had a different kit from this series and it was a slightly different design. And I said, I've never seen this design before. This looks really cool, I'm gonna buy it. And that model was $100, which was probably three times the price it should have been. <laughs> the, the model itself was should have only been around 40 bucks, but I had to have it. I got it and I put it together and then I started looking at the box and I noticed that this kit had a different design. I said, oh, I've never seen that before. And I just started looking for these different things and it, finding all of these different designs and different kits. And suddenly like, I have to I have to have these, I have to build them and get this collection going. Um, and then from there, like I said, I, I was looking on YouTube. It's like, okay, well, how good can people get at this? And that was kind of how I got into fingerboarding too. I was gonna like, say, people say that about fingerboarding yeah, all the time. Just like, how, that. how good can someone be at this? Yeah. Uh, which I think is cool. A lot of people will, will see something like fingerboarding or model kits. It's like, don't you have anything better to do with your time? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did it. Like, don't you have anything better to do? <laughs> it's like, it's my time, do whatever I want. Um, it's yeah. a good attitude to have. Yeah. And then I, I stumbled upon this uh, this Japanese TV show that someone had uploaded to YouTube where they had pro model makers building models. And there was they did one episode on a Gundam, and it showed how the guy applied actual paint to the panel lines, and it uh, uses capillary action and pulls the paint through the line. Whoa which I thought was wow. super cool. And then he just cleaned up the excess with a, like a Q-tip. Like, oh, I have to try that. And Crazy. then I just started watching all of the different Gundam shows in that series. S saw what other pro modelers could do. And like, you can, you can do all of this stuff with a plastic model. 
and it just spiraled from there. I started to teach myself um, how to paint first with spray paint and then eventually I got an airbrush and with airbrushing you can have a bit more freedom with colors and whatnot. So a lot of the colors I use I'll mix myself um, like all the blues on, and stuff on that kit are all mixed myself. Um, and that was at first all I wanted to do was just paint them and do different shading and, and stuff because I think when a lot of people start building models at least at the time that I started there's a technique called pre-shading where you put a darker color on first and then you put your lighter color on top but you don't go all the way to the edges with it and it gives it kind of a, a shadowy effect cool. which is what these have but I've done it in a, a more subtle manner because um, it's really that's a technique that's easy to start doing, but it's really hard to make it look as, as good as it can look. Uh, a lot of pro modelers will just do solid colors more like this. Um, but it, it just depends on the kit and what you want to do with it. Um, but at first, like that's it's like that's the ultimate thing right there. I can appreciate all of these and have all these cool looking things. And then over time, your tastes change and you you kind of develop into your own artist uh, and here I am now. I'll just, you know, I'll take a look at, at the kit and if I have an idea for it right away, I'll, I'll do that idea. Uh, if not, maybe it'll sit on my shelf for years. Um, or I'll try a thing and it'll turn out terribly and I will just buy another one of the kit and try it again. I've ruined probably as many model kits as I've actually finished. Uh, oh, and that cool. just, you know, if that happens, <laughs> they go in you know to the junk parts box and you can use that stuff for other things it's not you know it's not the end of the world or yeah. you can take the paint off and start over in certain cases it's a little bit harder to start over if you're adding different details like scribing stuff in there or changing the proportions of things to where you actually have to cut pieces uh, if you mess up it's a little bit harder to recover from that and then yeah sometimes things turn into spare parts and you just start over but that's, that's life yeah that's awesome too like i think for anybody listening who's gonna get into it like if they mess up they know they're not the only one who messes up like keep trying yeah and that's another thing that you can apply to anything it's just in like life learning you know? a trick yeah you, know? you try you're a, gonna fail sometimes try kickflip 300 times you might make it two times but you've also learned how to not do a kickflip those 298 times and you yep. you might not realize it at the time but if you are learning something and then you'll take that knowledge and apply it to whatever you're doing the next time and then it's not so hard exactly so. yeah and uh i noticed you told me you painted your fingerboard before you got here and i looked at it and i was like all right that's like more than the average so, paint that's like a really nice looking gradient uh i haven't had this board very long i got it on monday um uh, and i can't leave anything alone so <laughs> i i ordered a uh, a December board from Joaquin um, and he sent me this this really cool looking uh, board it was all purple to start out with uh, and then me being me I said well purple's cool but I have all these colors at my disposal and I sprayed some transparent colors on there doesn't even look like you sprayed it we got to do a collab <laughs> with like some boards this is insane you can still see the wood grain yeah you can still see the engraving and the color of the engraving and then it looks like a faded bottom ply like yeah i did that on purpose so that's incredible i i took some 
uh, fluorescent pink and again they're all transparent paints so it's it's easier to pick up the detail that's already on the board in terms of wood grain yeah. and, and the laser engraving on there um, so I sprayed it with the pink first and then I took some transparent blue and depending on with transparent colors depending on how heavy you spray them you can layer them up to have different gradients uh, so I went kind of light in the middle and then a little darker and then where it touches the pink it fades into purple and I kind of sprayed it down around the tail um, and then I for the nose I just took a darker purple because I, I really liked the color of the bottom ply that it was to start and I didn't want to lose all of that uh, and when you when you sand things uh, when you sand the lacquer off stuff, it loses some of that vibrancy. So just in order to bring that back, I sprayed it with some transparent purple. And then I put a couple layers of lacquer on it. Um, but I also, the reason why I painted the board um, wasn't just because I was, wanted to change it. Um, I ordered a, a 33 and a half millimeter board and I typically don't ride boards that are that big. Uh, and after playing with it for a couple days, I decided, yeah, this is a little too big. so I. I sanded it down. Sorry, Joaquin. <laughs> uh, came to, out really nice. To like 32 or 32 and a half millimeters. Um, and seeing that I had to relacquer it anyway, I decided to do something fun. Yeah, I mean, that's super awesome. Like, it looks insane. So good. We'll put a close up of yeah. that too, for sure. So, yeah. Guess. That can lead into the next question. The next question What is, kind of board am I writing? No, what's in your beverage? <laughs> Definitely not pee. No. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just green tea. <laughs> Good old Japanese green tea. Go buy some. Your local <laughs> supermarket. It's good stuff. Alright, now what's um, your setup? So right now I have a December deck, uh, dynamic trucks, uh, 32 millimeters and flat face wheels <laughs> because I ride for flat face. Uh, these, these are Ilpils wheels. I've, I'd never used urethane wheels and I just wanted to try something different. Um, typically I'll ride the white G8 wheels or whatever color I'm feeling like at the time, but most of the time it, it's white. Um, but this is the first board I've used that is not a Berlin wood since I've started fingerboarding basically. <laughs> uh, I could probably count on one hand how many different companies of boards I've had that aren't Berlin Woods. Um, but yeah, since I'd stepped away for so long, I just wanted to try something different and what Joaquin was doing seemed really interesting. He seems like someone who put a, a lot of thought uh, into making the shape of the board and, yeah. and whatnot. And since I got to meet him uh, briefly at Rendezvous, and he let me try his board. I was convinced that I wanted one, and so I took the plunge and, and purchased one. So. Yeah, definitely. I have one too, as you know, and it's a really nice board. It's like somewhat mellow with like pretty deep concave, and it performs really good. Yeah. Like I set it up, and I was like, the kicks look long. I don't know about this. And then I tried it, and I was like, wow, it works really well. You yeah. know, he knows what he's doing. So yeah, they're cool boards. Check those out for sure. So with, with my experience with it so far, just the shape, like I noticed he kind of tapered the nose and tail. So they're slightly pointy, yep. which makes 360 flips a little easier to, to scoop them. 
not that they're particularly hard with any board, but they just have a, a slightly nicer feeling with that yeah. tapered nose and tail. Um, and other, otherwise, I'd say they're very similar to a regular Berlin wood shape, just a little bit different, equally as good. Um, yeah, try one out. They're great. Yeah. What do you think about how square all the boards are getting these days? <laughs> That's, it's weird. I mean, it's, it's cool, I guess. Uh, I, I don't like to get too far outside of the box in terms of board shapes. Yeah. I like your classic popsicle board or maybe a normal old school style board if you want to goof around with those. But I, I don't really see the point performance wise for things like egg-shaped boards and boxy boards but it's it's cool and of, of course this is just my opinion i'm probably wrong um <laughs> well there's no right or wrong it's like yeah, whatever works whatever for you, you want to use some some different. of the boards i've seen i really don't understand they just seem like it would hurt if you messed up on something <laughs> uh not not really to call out any brands but uh like the the goo boards that you just showed off in a previous video they have the jagged sides oh i love that it feels so good you can like <laughs> rub your finger on it it's just like a cool like i just thing to hold i just imagine trying <laughs> to do a nollie heel flip or something on that and primoing it then well how much pressure do you use when finger boarding? Uh, i'm pretty, pretty heavy hard. handed okay um, yeah I, some people do yeah some people are are really really light fingered and i'm envious of those people because i'm <laughs> that's not my style i don't know don't know why i'm so heavy handed but it just is what it is. Um, and I remember when I was first learning nollie heels, I would press down so hard on the board. Like, I have no idea how I was doing it. It's, I've gotten a lot better at it since, but just I would just try to press it into the ground. So yeah, I'm kind of rough on equipment. Cool. That's funny. Yeah, sometimes I hurt my finger like... If I land on the kingpin like this way, yeah, I land pretty hard. So I guess I like sometimes fingerboard hard, but I feel like it depends on the trick and what I'm trying. Yeah, and stuff. it's not like all the time, for sure. But, yeah, haven't snapped one yet, so I've never snapped <laughs> one from use. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe just throwing a tantrum here. And there. <laughs> that's why I don't have any boards from the past. That's not entirely true. <laughs> I, I gave away or sold most of the old stuff I have so I, mm. I don't even have anything that I started with which is kind of sad um, is that your biggest regret in life no not really <laughs> you, you can't you can't live life with regrets like that it's just yeah. stuff <laughs> uh, but some of the boards I had were really good and I kind of wish I had them because yep. it's for me it's very hit or miss whether I will like a board uh, me too so, holding on to some stuff that's good would would probably have benefited me and <laughs> i wouldn't have to rack my brain trying to figure out what's good out of all these new brands maybe not necessarily what's good but what i would like to use myself yeah um what's good for you i mean it's always been yeah. berlin wood boards that's I, I was i was on the team for a while and then have, having stepped away everything's changed so much i just kind of assumed that that's no longer a thing. Uh, but coming back into it, that that was the first board I went for, Berlinwood board. And yeah, it's great. Old, reliable Berlinwood most of the time. Sometimes their boards can be hit or miss, but that's with any company. Like you can't you can't get a perfect thing every time. But. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're really like 
I don't know, like we are, we're very picky. Yeah. So it's like, if you have five of the same board, it's like, no, only three of those are the same. Like to somebody <laughs> yeah. else, they're all the same. Yeah. But to us, it's like, no, this one's a tiny bit lighter, a tiny bit thicker, whatever it is. Yeah. Those things make it or break it depending like on your preferences. Yeah. So. And I actually kind of like a heavier board. I think it feels better when it's, when you're doing kickflips, it kind of just goes up to your fingers and it's easier to catch. Yeah. With a lighter board, I feel like it's a little bit all over the place. And then when I left fingerboarding, there were really only like two and a half truck brands. You had Black River Trucks <laughs> and then Y Trucks. And tech deck the trucks. Half? Tech deck trucks are the half. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and now coming back into it, there's a bunch of different stuff. And it's like, all right, well, what do I choose? And before, I'd, I'd never thought about how it, how the different trucks would alter your board. But now, like going from Black River trucks to Dynamic trucks, it's a really big difference. Yeah. Uh, dynamic trucks make your wheelbase a bit longer, and that's great for some boards, but bad for others. If you have a board that's really long already, and you put Dynamic trucks on it, then it's going to feel even longer, and that's going to change your tricks. Yep. Um, so, but that makes it interesting because now you can do all kinds of different combinations with things. Yeah, I've been switching up a lot of setups, like, you know, which trucks, which wheels are better on each one. The wheels too, just the size of the wheel itself yeah. will have a similar kind of effect on changing the way it performs. So then it's like, if I want dynamics with small wheels or with big wheels, or do I want black river and then yeah. smaller big or medium or like, there's just, and then once you get it perfect, it's like, I don't want to change like the setup. It's so good how it is. Yeah. I don't even want to experiment with it anymore because yeah. it's just dialed in. And that's great. And then sometimes you get tired of it. <laughs> you want to change to something else and you have to go through the madness all over again <laughs> i remember like with wheels before i left it was they're really just flat face wheels or black river wheels on the market and if i'm sure there were other things but i didn't pay that much attention to them and those two your wheels and black river wheels were very similar to each other um for a while and then toward 2013 black river started going with kind of a more realistic shape I guess substance wheels were around too, weren't they? Um, I never really used those. But the shape of the wheel was always a, a thing that I obsessed over for no reason because it didn't matter. I just wanted it to look like a skateboard wheel and not like this blocky thing, Yeah. which at the time, a lot of wheels were like that. And I see kind of an in-between now, uh, like with the, the wheels I have on my board now, um, they're kind of blocky they're they're okay i guess they still have some of the rounded edges but then it, i don't know at what point you changed the shape of your wheels to be more like skateboard wheels but like yeah that's... i mean now i got the street shape the old regular shape the yeah. g4 the g8 and it's like you have you can choose tapered yeah. or like regular that, rounded. That, and i love the shape of the g8 wheel because it's just yeah. like a real skateboard wheel um and i know i handed you forever to make a more realistic wheel and eventually you did it so oh yeah thanks <laughs> you're welcome uh and then there's up, like other cool stuff out there too like you did the the dual durometer wheels um but you did that a long time ago and yeah. not necessarily it was there's like cord wheels with the different colors which i thought was a, a cool idea um and then oh what else i don't even know there's, there's just so much new stuff out yeah. there yeah it, it must be crazy like having stepped away like 
at that time when things were like kind of going but not really and then coming back to now like the fingerboard scene right now is crazier than it's ever been in terms of like how many options are out there yeah and i can't even keep up with all of them it's insane and every single rendezvous i'm seeing like new setups from people that i've never seen half the parts i'm like what trucks are those what wheels are those why why it's so crazy and it's just never ending and it's really cool it's it's a little overwhelming too especially i can see how if you're if you're new to it a lot of this stuff costs a lot of money uh and I've been fortunate enough to be in a position to be sponsored by people, so I haven't really had to pay uh, for a lot of this stuff. Um, but now, since I am using my own money, I'm a little bit more <laughs> conscious of what I'm buying. Uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of options out there, and you know, in the end, it's really just a personal preference thing. Right. You know, yeah, some boards can be made a little bit better than others, but in the end, it's just whatever shape you prefer. So yeah. I know like Tim Hurley kind of touched on that a little bit. Just, you know, use tech decks if, if that's <laughs> what makes you happy, you know, and yeah, go for it. Yeah. I think find what works for you. And if you don't know where to start, like see what people are using that you like their fingerboarding. Yeah. Like you like their tricks and their style and everything. And then see what they're using and use that as a starting point. Yeah. Like if you notice that, you know, everybody good uses, you know, either let's say, black river trucks or dynamic trucks it's like what trucks do i get oh probably one of those two you know yeah. you don't need to think that far out of the box right away you can if you want but it's like if you want to guarantee that you have something good start with like the best of the best the most popular the ones you see everyone yeah. shredding and you at least have something good there for sure yeah and that was a little easier back in the day because for a lot of us we all looked up to the german german writers yep. like what are they writing oh berlinwood boards you know there's tech deck trucks at the time because that was all that was out until 09 when black river trucks came out but yeah like yeah that's you want to we want to be like be like them and fingerboard like they do and that's what we rode yep we try to set up like oh they got a yellow berlin wood so do i like yep. try to get the uh, same setup the, from a video we liked nick herzog and, yeah exactly <laughs> the the only reason i've had as many yellow boards as i had that's not true my favorite board color on real skateboards is actually like yellow plies too cool uh and that's because of uh <coughs> jamie thomas and the welcome to hell toy machine video he had like some stars on his board and i think i'm pretty sure it was a yellow top ply board and that Whoa. just kind of stuck with me <laughs> i was like cool. oh that looks he's doing this 360 flip oh that looks really cool i want to i want to be like jamie thomas and do cool 360 flips with <laughs> yellow board so i think my first the first zero board i bought had a, a yellow ply too and maybe that maybe it just stuck with me because of that but yeah still i think that that nick herzog rail jam video influenced a lot of people yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely and i don't know i bet a lot of new kids haven't even seen it so you should yeah check Go it look out it up We'll, we'll put a link to it for sure. That's and then an important one. Live a life of misery trying to do nollie heels as good as his. Dude, kids are so good at nollie heels now. It's kids like are... they pick it up before the kickflip and yeah. then just like master it. It's insane. The level at which people are doing stuff now is crazy to me. As I, I mentioned it earlier, but I, some video I watched the other day, some guy's doing like big flip hurricane and like cab flip hurricane or something. Just 
some crazy trick that I can't even wrap my head around. And he probably did it in like three or four tries. <laughs> where a trick like that would take me all day. You never know. That's the one thing I wonder. It's like there's all these people posting crazy clips, but you never really know how long it takes them to get yeah. it. But yeah, a lot of it seems like they got it really fast. Do you ever just mess around with the trick and you happen to do it in like one or two tries and it's really good and you just kind of have to take a minute and put the fingerboard down and like, wow, <laughs> it did that. Yeah, and then you go to film it and it's not yeah, happening for an hour. Yeah, but, yep. you know, that's the bail gun, you know, get that camera out and <laughs> you, you're not pro fingerboarder anymore. <laughs> just starting out. You got to get your stats up. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, I've been trying to figure out what exactly is going on there because it's like, it can't be just nerves of the camera. Like, there's something else. And I was thinking, like, when you're fingerboarding, you try different tricks. Like, you know, a few tries of this, a few tries of that. You're not sitting there trying one trick. So then it's like the probability that you land something at some point is like eventually you're going to yeah. land something. And then it's like, that's different than like sitting down and trying the same trick only over and over again where it's like, like when you land that crazy trick that you thought of and did second try or first try on a whim, it's like you weren't thinking about it. You weren't, you didn't know what to do and what not to do. You just kind of went for it and it worked, but you don't really know what you just did yeah. in terms of how did you make that trick work first try. And that's why you can't get it again. Yeah. Cause it's like, it was a little bit of luck in a way. And it's like, you know, tricks that you can do are not like that. But when you do a trick that you can't do, and then you take the camera out to film it. I think that's part of why it never works again. Yeah. Or like it, it's a lot harder to get it the second time. Yeah, for sure. I experienced that very early on when I started skateboarding. Uh, <laughs> I was a really big Rodney Mullen fan and I wanted to learn Casper slides. And so my friends and I would all skate in this uh, church parking lot and someone had a really small kind of manual pad box and we stuck it down the curb. Um, <laughs> And I did a Casper slide down it. Wow. And I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Let's go get the camera. I bet I can do it again. And then three hours later, you're out of tape and you're just like, no, there's no Casper slide on that tape. Wow. You know, I've never tried that trick again. Crazy. Yeah, I've had a few moments like that on my skateboard too. One time I was like probably 13. I just got on my board. I was like, I'm going to half cab heel. I just did the best half cab heel. <laughs> Caught it like like this high like it was like i jumped so high and it worked perfect and then i just like probably didn't land another one for like pfft, it's a few years yeah. dude like once you start thinking about <laughs> what you're doing i think that makes it harder in a way too if you can just kind of clear your mind and you, you don't get frustrated with things yeah just just try something if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't don't worry about it <laughs> move on but once you start putting some real conscious effort into certain things it just makes it harder and i think that's what the the real issue with the camera is it's not the camera itself it's just you're now you're more hyper aware of what you're doing yeah it's like and, you're overthinking everything yeah. instead of just doing it and then if you're filming it of course you want it to look good so i think the fear is you're gonna get it it's gonna look bad and then you're gonna spend hours trying to get this trick again to make it look good and that might not happen yeah and I, I notice when i'm fingerboarding that uh if i try to do a trick and i'm thinking in my head like you know i want to make it look a certain way i want to make it look good i'll be like not even landing the trick and then if i think like all right why don't i just land it 
and if it doesn't look good, I'll do it again. And if it doesn't look good, I'll do it again and again and again. And then you start landing it like every try and you're like, okay, now it's so easy to tweak the style how I want to. Yeah. So it's like, you have to kind of slow down and be like, all right, before you do the backside flip and catch it like that, <laughs> just do a backside flip and then see if you catch it like yeah. that. You know, it's you like- just kind of have to, to build up on it. Too much thinking sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I get stuck in that, um, when trying certain tricks, it's like, all right, well, I can do both of these tricks separately, so why can't I do them together? Uh, and I remember I was watching some some video on YouTube where a guy was talking about how he was trying to learn kickflip crooked grinds. And he's like, I can kickflip, I can crooked grind. Why am I having such a difficult time putting the two together? And I think a lot of that is you think about that trick kickflip crooked grind is one trick instead of two separate tricks and then if you think about it as two different tricks it's easier to break down and this guy happened pj lad happened to be at the park when this guy was trying it and he's like just do a kickflip like don't even think about the crooked grind just yeah. do the kickflip and i try to apply that towards some of the stuff i'm doing it doesn't always work you know but i think it's a it's it helps you to, to learn stuff that way. If you just break it down mm. into smaller parts. If you're having trouble with the first part, just focus on the first part. If you're having trouble with the second part, just focus on the second part. Uh, and then eventually you'll, you'll be able to stack those things together and you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, that's cool. I have almost the opposite approach. If I'm trying a combo, like let's say kickflip nose grind, like nollie vary will flip out <laughs> or whatever and then eventually i stop even getting into the kickflip nose grind the first part until i start thinking about the second part yeah and then i like get in the first time every try and i don't even notice i just did like 30 in a row that i got into yeah and then like i don't know why that is but it's like if a combo is not working I'm like i just have to think of the last part <laughs> yeah the whole time for some reason i think that <laughs> that um method of thinking up applies to a lot of people who are actually skateboarding too like you'll see you'll see people do a really crazy trick down a big stair set or something but they'll do a line up to it and yeah. it, i think it's just if you can land those first two tricks you're way more motivated to get that last trick uh i, I think that's kind of kind of yeah, what you're yeah. experiencing a little bit yeah sometimes the pressure too in skateboarding if you're like getting kicked out of a spot it like forces you to land the trick yeah and doesn't always work but it works a lot of the time because you're just like this is my last try yeah <laughs> doesn't really happen with fingerboarding no because i've never been kicked out anywhere for fingerboarding i've been kicked out yeah <laughs> i was fingerboarding at the mall at like an empty uh like kiosk in the middle of those things where they sell random items and stuff <laughs> and it was an empty one there was no products or people there and like the security came and was just like you can't be doing that here <laughs> it was That's so funny. bizarre it's a whole new world yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, good morning. Today's episode is brought to you by Dynamic Fingerboards and Rhombus. Yep. So, Scott B from Dynamic was generous enough to send me a box and let's see what's inside. You guys probably heard of Dynamic Trucks. They're some of the best fingerboard trucks out there. And he's also, wow, he's also got some other cool stuff, so here we go. Awesome. Whoa. All right, this is a dynamic complete five ply wooden fingerboard. And then it's got dynamic trucks and wheels on it. 
Awesome. I think Jesse Braun did this graphic. Super sick. Got some, oh yeah, the brand new trucks with the engraving. Sick. Two sets of them, 32 and 32 special editions. So they got the kingpins with the, the screw in kingpins and then they got your like standard kingpins that you put the nut on. So yeah, super sick and they have cool colors. I got 32 cause that's my favorite size trucks to use even with wider boards like 33 and then let's see this should be the rail yeah what do you think rhombus check out this rail these rails are crazy it's like one solid piece of metal super chrome from the future rhombus approved super solid and then yeah that's everything so let's take a closer look at this fingerboard so it's got pretty low medium concave and medium kicks it's like that yeah wow the graphic has like a matte feeling finish to it it's super nice it's different than most it's also shiny but yeah it has a really cool feel to it and yeah i gotta put some non-sliders on this rail but the rail is so smooth it's like butter feels like you're not even grinding amazing so yeah and then dynamic trucks you guys already know i have them on some of my setups and they're super sick so you can get dynamic stuff on their website and on my website too so dynamicfb.com and dynamicfb you can see there their instagram their website and then yeah occasionally on flatface we'll do special colorways that are available only on my site uh flatface colorway with the blue base plate and stuff so yeah check them out they got completes they got everything that goes into a complete i was gonna say they got wheels they got trucks decks tape and more so thank you scott thank you dynamic thank you rhombus go check them out we're diving in deep to the middle the the deep end of the podcast i guess right. you could say um let's see as a person what do you think is your biggest weakness my biggest weakness as a person yeah that's a good question i don't typically think about what i'm bad at enough um i always had a really hard time talking to people when i was younger and just and a, a little bit still as an adult i don't see it in you anymore i think you were shyer when i first knew you maybe um but if, if there's a complete stranger i have a really hard time making small talk with people um it's just in my head i think about you know why would this person care about what I have to say? And is anything I have to say remotely interesting? And to me, it's not. Like, I I don't want to hear you talk about whatever it is that you're going to talk about. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you don't want to hear me talk about model kits or skateboarding or whatever it is that I want to talk about. Uh, and sometimes that's not the case. Um, it's just sometimes you need that icebreaker of sorts to open people up 
Um, and I've gotten a lot better over the years, uh, just kind of from working different retail jobs and, and other other things where you have to talk to people because it's easy to talk to your friends. You know, it's e it's easy to find common ground. You know, we can talk about fingerboarding, skateboarding, music, whatever. Uh, it's a little different when you're just talking to a stranger in a store. Um, but I think over the years, I've, I've gotten a lot better at it. So still something I'm working on. Um, and then too, I'm pretty hard on myself sometimes just in terms of where I think I'm supposed to be at in life. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to get up and go to work every day. This, this feels terrible, you know, just dealing with a, a bit of depression now and again. And, you know, most people go through that, but you could be perfectly happy one moment and the next moment you're just like, I don't want to go through this every day. You know, what's the point kind of thing. Um, so just kind of recognizing when you start to spiral out of control mentally. I'm trying to work on that a lot too. Yeah. Uh, it's like I just started a new job not that long ago. Um, and it's not a very exciting job. It's pretty boring. Um, but some days I'm just like, I don't want to be doing this in a year or two years. But then on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. Like it, you know, it pays your bills. It's a, you have good benefits and all this stuff. It's just not stimulating. So yeah, keeping myself from getting bored is something I'm trying to try to work on. <laughs> yeah, that's important. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could have. There's a couple approaches you could probably almost mix them. It's like at, in, yeah. in one regard, it's like try to be just like present in the moment and mindful with, you know, looking at kind of what's going on right now and like what are the good things about it like yeah. yeah it's boring as hell but it also provides you with a really good security and yeah. lifestyle where you can build models and fingerboard and hang out and, and i can like, fingerboard while i'm working if, yeah that's if there's awesome. downtime i'm just sitting in a desk yeah so so it's like there are those things but then also it's like well why is my body sending me this this signal that something's wrong like yeah. what do i really want to do and maybe you'll find a job that doesn't come with that existential dread with yeah. it you know like those when you have those messages and they keep coming back over and over again it's like it's because somebody's trying to tell you something somebody yeah. meaning you you know your yeah. your body's trying to tell you like maybe there's a different version of this job that would suit you better and you just have to find it yeah that's true and i i think in, from my point a lot of the time uh my unhappiness with something kind of stems from my communication skills. Uh, I don't really vocalize what I'm thinking a lot of the time hmm. just because I, I don't want to upset anyone or I think to myself, like, have I, have I really done a, a good enough job to deserve the thing that I want? Um, and a lot of the time, yes, I have, have done a good enough job. But if I'm not telling anyone that, they can't read my mind. Yeah. And then that just, you know, you can spiral from there. It's like, why aren't, why don't they see it? Well, people are busy too. Yep. So sometimes you just have to bring it up. And Totally. You know. Yeah, I've seen that in my own life in different ways too. And an interesting thing I heard recently is that people 
who went to, I think it was like some kind of therapy or whatever mm-hmm. clinician and they had problems. They were like, you know, depressed or anxious and they had really like heavy problems in their life. Like a huge percentage of them is like 70% or something. They felt better after just telling the therapist, not yeah. getting treated, not yeah. getting a solution, just telling the thing. So that reminded me of how you said, like, you don't always speak what's on your mind or what yeah. you Sometimes you just got to get it yeah. out. You know, it's like, it, it's more important to voice your concerns or whatever they are, talk about those things and, you know, feel that like, you know, you're worth it to, to say those things. And yeah. then you might even get some good advice or something, or sometimes you just want somebody to listen. But like, if it, it helped that many people, they didn't even do anything about it. They yeah. just said <laughs> it out loud. So yeah, definitely try to find the ways to do it. Yeah, just talking, talking with people helps, so. Yeah. For sure. I find that it does a lot of times. And for me, it's like, if I have a problem, a lot of times I'll like talk about it. And then right when it comes out of my mouth, I know the solution. And I'm like, what? It was that easy? Like I, I could have thought of it, but I I had to get to the point where I was about to ask someone for help. And then I talked about it and then it became obvious. There's something about vocalizing out loud to a person. And sometimes I think people get a lot of anxiety about just talking to people yeah but once you take that first step it's way easier like oh, I, I hate being on the phone but i've taken hundreds of phone calls so it's just because you know in my case it's job related I'm starting a new job i don't have all of the knowledge that i would like to have to help someone so you get a little bit hesitant of doing something even though you've done it thousands of times before yeah but then once you take that first step it's not as bad as you've built it up to be in your head and you, you just go from there. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I think I used to be more shy than I am now. And I think you also, oh, from what I see for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You got any tips for people how to overcome that? Cause I don't know how I feel like I just kind of grew into it over time or something. Yeah. And it's going to be different for everyone. Um, for me, what helps is at some point when I start to get, just too anxious i'll just do the thing i'll just turn my brain off and do the thing and then then think about it again and you go oh it's it wasn't as bad as you you thought it would be yeah you know that would happen all the time um especially even with with skateboarding a lot of the friends i had from skateboarding i was so nervous to talk to them at first because again you just get in your own head and you're like oh i'm not cool enough to talk to these people because I'm not as as good as they are and a lot of people just don't care they're yeah. gonna help you almost nobody cares they yeah. yeah skateboarders we love teaching each other tricks yeah. it's like so fun but yeah I, I definitely know that feeling too it's like you almost think like you know why would that pro talk to me or why would that yeah. person who's so much better than me care about talking to me so, and then they just see you as a person on a skateboard like it doesn't yeah. matter the skill level yeah. and all those little things like, Going back to my, my Ben Gilly story, um, when he walked up to me and he was like, hey, what's going on? The words that came out of my mouth were, I suck. And he, <laughs> that, what no. he told me, yeah, he goes, that's okay. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that a pro skateboarder was talking to me and I'm not, I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't as good at skateboarding as I would be. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's okay. Like you don't have to be good at 
stuff to talk to other people who are good at stuff. Those are the best people to talk to if you're not good at something and you want mm -hmm. to be better. They're definitely going to understand where you're coming from because before you're good at something, you have to be bad at it. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think that really brings it home for people. Like, it's just, you just realize, <laughs> like, dang, okay, we yeah. all are just people. Like, maybe this person a year ago is where I am now. Yeah. Or 10 years ago, but they've been there. And if that, if the person that you look up to ends up being an asshole when you talk to them, then they're probably not worth your time. Yeah. And, you know, there's totally. probably other stuff going on with them that you know, you probably don't want to be around. You probably don't even want to know about yeah. it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. they always say, don't meet your heroes. And there's, you know, yeah. it's for good reason with, uh, yeah. I think about that a little bit with everything being so accessible now. Uh, and so many people doing stuff outside of what they would normally do. Like a lot of people are doing podcasts now and you're doing podcasts and that's going to give you a little bit of a look into what that person is like on a day to day basis. Yeah, totally. And some people like, uh, bands especially musicians some of those people you probably just don't want to be around just separate the art from the artist and lis listen to the thing you like and yep. leave it at that yeah. yeah I mean I'm like the kind of person who never knows anything about like the music that I listen to it's except recently recently I've been more interested and I found out the hard way like Crystal Castles I love their music and then when I found out the story behind it it was so painful and I was like oh I don't even know if I can listen to this yeah. and like I had to take a while to process that and then I got to the point where I was like okay I can listen to this again and just separate it and it's just how it is this is a beautiful form of art it happened when it happened and it is forever recorded yeah. and it's beautiful and I love it and it's crazy knowing the story but it's just like you can't let that stop you from enjoying what it is and so it it's it's the same with i don't know whoever people yeah. who do especially art yeah. they tend to have crazy stuff going on in their lives which yeah. a lot of times motivates the art you can't make crystal castles sounding music if you're super happy yeah. like maybe but it's easier if you're like going through some stressful Definitely. stuff to make crazy sounding music yeah <laughs> unfortunately but yeah and like since i like a lot of 80s music and stuff None of the people in those bands from the 80s are good good people. Uh, so just, what do you got against 80s people, man? Not, I love the 80s, but um, <laughs> it's like if, you, if you're like a huge Motley Crue fan or something and you start to dive into some of their history, yeah, they've probably done a lot of stuff that is uh, it's not good. But if you like their music, whatever, keep yeah, liking their music. That shouldn't stop you from liking You don't have music. to like the person to, to like the art. You yeah. Know. Otherwise, you're left with nothing because eventually you find some little thing about anyone if you start yeah. caring too much. And it's like, that's the wrong thing to care yeah. about. Like, take what you like from each thing and move on and just enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Don't invest too much of yourself into into other people who, who would never give that back to you. That yeah, that's good. Um, All right. We covered weaknesses. How about strengths? Strengths. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not something I think about either. I don't I don't do a lot of self reflection in that way. That's what this podcast is really for. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Hard questions. Um I'm I'm really good at learning things. I think that is one of my strengths. If I'm interested in something, then I will try to take it as far as I can go with it. And sometimes that's not very far, and sometimes that's 
really far. Uh, a really good example for me, um, I used to play competitive fighting games, and that was kind of another reason I stepped away from fingerboarding for so long, is just because gaming and other stuff took over. Um, but it, at first I wasn't very good, and I was just having fun with it. And that's how you kind of get good at things, is just by having fun with them. Um, but that playing games taught me to be a lot more analytical about things because if you've never played like arcade style fighting games street fighter or whatever uh it's kind of like playing chess at a really high level really fast <laughs> because every action you take like there's there's going to be a reaction to it or a consequence um so just that whole activity taught me a lot of stuff how to look at things differently in life um so yeah, just learning and analyzing things I think is a pretty big strength of mine. Um, and then just trying to do things well, you know, put, I like to put a lot of effort into the things that I do. So. Yeah, I think those two are even connected too. Yeah. And I think it shows too, like your attention to detail with the models and with fingerboarding. And I noticed when you got back into fingerboarding, the types of questions that you ask about boards like nobody asks that stuff anymore yeah. people just buy random stuff but you're like looking at it from like a deeper angle i think yeah i mean someone's gotta ask that stuff and yeah people yeah when we were coming up with fingerboards yeah no one really cared you just wanted what you wanted because it was cool and that's probably the case uh still with a lot of people but mm -hmm. when you've been doing something for so long you start to see what works and what doesn't work for you and that's applicable in pretty much all of your all aspects of your life yeah um you know whether it's a, a job or whatever you know you gotta you gotta figure out what works for you and then take that as far as you can take it how about anime what's your favorite anime oh man i like a lot of anime and i always have trouble when people ask what's your favorite because i <laughs> don't really have a favorite um, but I definitely have a favorite time period of anime. It's not the 80s. And it? it's definitely the 80s. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say I have a favorite like genre of anime, but in terms of time period, 80s through like early 90s, uh, and that's because a lot of the stuff was still hand-drawn. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, especially if you get into mecha or robot anime or cyberpunk-style anime, a lot of the detail they put into the mechanisms of like the robots or vehicles or whatever is really cool. And then when you get to see that animated, it looks even better. Uh, and there's just like no substitute for hand-drawn animation. It's just like one of the coolest things out there. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an animator. Cool. Um, but that, that is a very, very hard job. Um, you have to draw a lot. Not anymore, but you well, used to, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's an insane job. I have a deep appreciation for old cartoons that are just, yeah. there's nothing like them now. Like, even if you watch shows that used to be hand-drawn mm -hmm. that are now computer animated, it's like, yeah, the show's still good, but the art's not good anymore. It's yeah. like, everything's totally different. It's simplified. It has no character anymore. Yeah. And it's like, look at, like, Hey Arnold, <laughs> like, the you can see like the brush strokes and stuff yeah. like or the the different materials that they drew with you can like 
It's awesome. There's it's it's nice when everything is not a hundred percent polished. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot more character in, in things um, that way, and you just don't don't get that with anime or animation in general. Now, like when was the last time you saw an actual hand drawn animated Disney movie? I don't know. The old ones. Yeah, like, that's it. I don't know. And those are they put a lot of effort and love into those and they're yeah. they're great even if you're not a fan of disney movies i'm not a huge disney fan but like i appreciate all the art in it and just a lot of the techniques and, and stuff that people were using at the time are all new so it's a little bit more interesting because you can see mistakes here and there and <laughs> that's cool and they don't use a lot of old techniques anymore like i'm not sure if you know what rotoscoping is Oh, sounds so familiar. It's where you take a live action thing and then you kind of draw over it okay. and animate it that way. Yeah. And it gives it a very interesting look. If, if you go back and watch like a lot of the old Lord of the Rings um, animated movies, you can see some of that in there. But people don't do that anymore. It's all, all computer stuff. and Computer yeah. stuff is fine. There's a lot of really good computer stuff out there. But it's just not the same. Um, so in a roundabout way to answer your question, pretty much any anime from the eighties I like, um, but if I have to pick one, uh, Fist of the North Star is, is one of my favorite ones. Uh, I have a tattoo for Fist of the North Star. It's just the big dipper. Oh, I remember um, when you got that. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's one of my, my favorite ones. It's ultra violent, <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, it's it's fun because it's so outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Who gave you... Was that Roe that did oh, that tattoo? Ro, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's insane. And the cops came in while it was happening. Because <laughs> we were making too much noise. I got to get Roe over here, do a podcast. Let's check out the Instagram uh, questions. What do you eat for breakfast? Uh... Depends on the day. Uh, sometimes nothing, just coffee. Um, I bought some Fruit Loops yesterday, so this morning I had Fruit Loops with milk. With milk, whole milk or whole milk. Good, smart it, man. You need it, the fat in there. It tastes better. Yeah, that's... as a person who had to grow up on skim milk, <laughs> the first time I got to have whole milk was very eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it just tastes way better. Um, if you're not into milk, whatever, but it's good. Drink it. Um, nice. <laughs> croissants are good. I like croissants if Ooh. I have those. Get a nice ham and Swiss on a croissant. It's a good time. Oh, now I'm hungry. That's a good one. <laughs> Some, so I'm a very picky eater, all right? And I have to work myself up into trying new things. And I was walking around Boston one day and went to this little coffee shop and they had a bunch of really good looking stuff in the bait case. But for some reason I kind of zeroed in on this ham and Swiss croissant. And I'm not a huge like ham person, but I'm like, all right, that looks really good. I'm going to try it. And then from then on, like, that's all I wanted for breakfast. <laughs> Just ham and Swiss on a croissant, a nice coffee. That's, That's not always the case. Some some days you just have to settle for Fruit Loops. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
Dang, I want ham and cheese croissant now. Yo, Cafe Nero up in Porter Square. Oh, we got one in Andover, I think. They're good. Their Next. coffee's okay, but their baked goods were delicious. Worst fingerboard trick. <laughs> the the one I'm worst at or my least favorite one. We're going to have to do both because we, we don't know. They just said worst fingerboard trick. It could be what's what's the easiest, the worst trick no one cares about. No, I don't know. <sighs> I'd say the the bane of my fingerboarding existence is nollie heel flips. I'm really good at them if it's not into anything or if it's in, into something that's on the, the tail of the board. So like back tail or that's really hard. Table. It's not hard for me. And again, trick difficulty is subjective. Right. Everyone's everyone's different. But if I try to do nollie heel nose grind, we're going to be there for a while. And especially like, yeah, I might get into some, but then like the tail kind of dips down and like, ah, oh, that's not good enough. I think I just filmed one on, on your new park. Yeah, that after, one was good. Well, after watching the footage, it's like I kind of zero in on it. It's like, oh, the tail the tail dipped. That I have to do it better some other day. <laughs> but I would say that is like one of my favorite and least favorite tricks. But for a very long time, I used to absolutely hate it when people would do switch backsmiths, three, switch 360 flips out. I thought that, I remember trick, that trick looks super dumb. I remember you hating that trick back in the day. <laughs> I don't know why. I, it's a fine trick, I guess. Yeah, I like it. It feels good out of a round rail. I think just a lot of people were doing them at the time, yeah. and I, I hated it. But uh, I have a kind of a hard time with switch 360 flips, uh, and Jay Jay's good at them. He's like, oh, yeah, I learned it by doing, doing them out of switch backsmiths. So <laughs> now I have to try to learn it that way. And I kind of like, ah, I don't know. That's funny. I'll give it a shot. But yeah, those are my favorite and least favorite tricks. Cool. Although kickflip is the best trick and will always be the best trick. So that's my real favorite trick. Yeah, kickflip's one of my favorites. An old park or obstacle you wish you could session again, you should answer this too. Oh, like I should answer it too. You go first. Um, well, I've been trying to get you to go to the rendezvous spot for well, a while, and that, it's not happening. So that's that's not an old thing. Lots of the stuff there. That's all old to me. <laughs> all right, I guess so. But you still uh, can. Like it'll happen. Yeah. There's an event in a week, or you know, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, people. <laughs> um, an obstacle I miss a lot is a uh, one of the the low harrier obstacles. Um, the white ones, like the old, yeah, yeah. the kind of ceramic-y style ones. Um, I, I remember Harry giving me like a really kind of sh um, small one, but it was long. And then there's this kind of quarter pipe on one side, ledge on the other side obstacle that was really fun. And I don't remember what it was called, but I don't have the names. don't have those, and I, I miss them a lot. They were super fun. Yeah, I made a nice squeaking sound when you did like blunt slides. I love that material. And like how it would break in over time. It yeah. like got super shiny smooth so, in a way. Harry, when you watch this, um, make some cool ramps again, please. Yeah, he is making stuff is here he? and there. I haven't talked to anyone in over 10 years, so <laughs> I should probably do a little bit better job of reaching out to people. But when you don't use social media, that's kind of hard. <laughs> so 
give and take. Yeah, got to find the balance. Yeah, I'll just see him when he comes here. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. How to do video parts. You didn't answer the question. Oh. Um, the only thing that got stolen for me for sure <laughs> is not the red table. There was a bonsai, like, barrier. Remember when I got that first park? First Black River Park ever? Yeah. And there was a barrier that it came from with that was made from the, the same granite? material that the ledges on that are. It's like that granite. granite barrier? I remember that barrier. Yeah. That got stolen? It disappeared, like... A year or two after I got it, like it was in that that back room at my parents' house, and I had like a rendezvous or something, and then I didn't notice, but it was gone. Oh. And we looked everywhere, and it, it was really gone. That's and like, lame. yeah, it's it had to have been stolen because it was on the park, and now it's gone. And like, Man. that room is not even a fingerboard room anymore, which means like we've taken everything out of there, yeah. so we know it's not in there. And we've gone through the whole house a million times for everything in general you know it's been so many years we would have found it by now yeah so i think that it got stolen probably and that was a one of one like hand carved yeah. from the stone in his backyard and that like, granite chisel dude. was really nice too Our, yeah. that that hubba ledge on that that first park you got was amazing uh, that's another thing that i i miss that that ledge yeah ledge. so good someday <laughs> back all right next question yeah, okay, we have almost the same question twice. One person said, how to do video parts, and the other person said, how do you film for an edit? So, cool. similar. Well, uh, for me, making a video part, lately it starts with just hearing a song. I know I touched on this a little bit earlier, but just whatever song sounds cool, it's like it gives me ideas to do tricks. I've, I've been keeping a trick list for stuff that I want to do for a new video part. But I also have, there, there were like three songs that really inspired me that I, I thought, oh, I could make three different parts to each one of these. Um, so that's kind of just where I start. Uh, I haven't made trick lists in the past. I kind of just did what I did. Uh, again, if you go back and watch any of my old footage, you're just going to see a lot of kickflips into things. Uh, just variations of that or maybe like switch shove it and things you make it look good that's all that matters i try um but yeah i don't i never really approached it in any particular way i just it's like oh do you, you have a trick on this sure just whatever i'm doing for that day um and then there are like some tricks like maybe you get an idea for it and you're just kind of trying it in a session and you might get close or you might not and then you go back and film it later uh, i think a lot of the times too when especially if we were all filming together you just set up a camera at a park and i would just do work like if there's a handrail on the park i'm gonna do a bunch of tricks on it like that's that's it that's my favorite obstacle is any handrail yeah yeah so and how to film parts i don't know i've never filmed myself really you just get a camera set it in one spot and maybe move it sometimes so the footage isn't boring <laughs> yeah but, angles i mean i think putting thought into the angles is really helpful actually yeah uh, but with the stuff that i i want to film now like i, don't, I haven't mentioned it to you yet but i do want to film an a, a entire part at the park warehouse but maybe like at night 
and make like do some dramatic b-roll or something yeah like just put a lot of effort into one thing uh that would be really fun um just yeah you know good lighting i, I really like the lighting on old black river edits where it's Me just kind of like a spotlight yeah it's like black in the background yeah can't go wrong with that uh looks really good makes it easier to focus on tricks when you don't have clutter in the background so clean a clean space goes a long way for just filming stuff yeah the way that it looks is yeah totally better uh so just you know be conscious of what you're doing don't just film random stuff and then when you are filming tricks i saw this a lot in the videos i was watching recently there's so many sloppy tricks like you or ride on tricks why are you doing ride on tricks with fingerboard like it feels good sure it's fun but it does not, feel good if you're especially if your setup is like if you're just doing that in like a random edit you know make it's kind put of some, filler yeah put some more thought into it or say like if you're doing the kickflip nose grind or something and your tail dips down and flops all over the place and you're still counting that stuff why are you filming that it doesn't look good it doesn't make you look good yeah try it again and if you don't don't get it that session come back to it you know um that's good advice definitely you know, style style is important style is much more important than what trick you're doing um, again i'd much rather see just a plain really nice crooked grind than a really bad kickflip crooked grind or nollie tray flip crooked grind whatever you know, whatever it is that you're doing yeah i noticed like for example, Jesse Braun lately in his last maybe few years has been doing more simple tricks. Mm -hmm. And for a while I was like, what are you doing, dude? You're so much better than that. I know you could nollie tray in and out of that. Yeah. And it's like, why do you want to just film a crook? And then like at some point I realized how good he was making it look. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it just clicked. I was like, okay, now I get it. I see why he's doing simpler tricks these days because the way that he's doing them is actually harder and better looking yeah. than 99% of anyone else who would do the same trick. Yeah. And once you notice that, it's so enjoyable to watch it. Yeah. Like, I'll go back to, to Nick Herzog again, because I watched that Rail Jam video today. The very first trick he does is just a nollie frontside crooked grind. But he does it so good that it's, yeah. it doesn't matter that it's that basic. The ways that that his fingers are like tucked and everything yeah like, he's just like on the tips of his fingers yeah. it's all so crazy. all stylish or like there there are certain tricks that stick out a lot to me from the past that i when if i'm filming that trick i'm gonna try to do the trick like they do it and elias's uh switch flip frontside crooker grind dude I, you just read my mind i was thinking of that when you said that that trick is that, so good that one does it for me too especially like I'm super jealous because I'm terrible at switch flips, but he when I do them, I kind of have to like kind of lift my hand in a rainbow motion to get it to flip high enough. <laughs> but he like just straight fingers, yeah, snaps snaps it so, it so good. Like he's Elias is so good. If you ever get to see him fingerboard in person, that's that's a treat. Um, same yeah. with same with Nick, and fortunately, I've gotten to see both of them. Um, but he fingerboards with a lot of power where it's like nick fingerboards with a lot of finesse mm -hmm. um, so it's two very different styles but they're both really good yeah i agree those are incredible descriptions too yeah yeah same it's like same when i when i look at um a lot of the people that were around now like jay chris uh and you guys like you all fingerboard very differently than me it was like 
Jay's got a lot of finesse, but he can also do tricks in a really powerful way. Um, and then like Chris Patron 